Uh, it's, yeah, we were, I said in the first service, it's, it's funny because this year, uh, not only is our 25th anniversary here in March, our 50th birthdays, both of ours, are in April. And so this is a, a kind of a strange year, um, both 25 and 50 coming together. And so it's, it's, it's just kind of a weird year, all this kind of coming into the mix. But again, I apologize that they let you in on any of all of that. Um, also, you should have had one of these on your, on your seats when you came in here this morning. This is for you, um, and it's for you. You can put it on your, your, your refrigerator to remind you, but what I'd rather you do, actually, is take this and give it to somebody, a family member, give it to a neighbor, invite somebody to the Easter services. Um, Christmas and Easter are the time when everybody's going to go to church, especially here in Texas. And so invite somebody to come with you, um, bring them along, sit beside them, have a good time, take them out for lunch afterwards, bring them this week before for the Easter egg hunt if you have kids they, or they have kids and it's between services. And so take advantage of that love on people in your neighborhood. People will say yes to you um, because it's Easter is what happens. And so it's a great way to reach out to those in our neighborhoods and our workplaces. So that's for you. If you need some more, we have a bunch more of those at the back. Um, you can pick those up or also at the welcome desk and take a whole stack of those with you when you leave. All right, get your Bibles out. We are doing a series around here that we've been calling Life in the Balance. And what we're doing is that we're going through the book of Romans. And um, I said this here the last several weeks, that this book of Romans is the handbook on Christianity. Every major theological issue is stuffed into the book of Romans which can make it very complex. And for some of us, it's kind of hard for us to understand because he uses all these big um, ideas and big words that he jams into this um, whole book. And, and so what we're trying to do is we're breaking this up um, each kind of Sunday leading up to Easter. And so I want to encourage you to be reading the book of Romans on your own, and then we'll kind of discuss it um, here in this, in, in, on Sundays. And I've read this quote a couple last couple of weeks. It was by a great Swiss Bible commentator. He said it this way. He said, every great revival in history that ever started can somehow be related to this book. And so that's been my prayer as we're going through this and as we're talking through this and as you're reading the book of Romans, that, that God would do a, start a revival in your heart and in your life, just as he's done a generation after generation, time in and time out, that he would do that for you and for me and for our church as a whole. Now, last week, we looked at Romans chapter 4, and I love Romans chapter 4 because in it, um, Paul's talking about the miracles that God loves to do in our lives. And at the end of the service, I felt compelled to pray for everybody who needed a miracle in their life. And we took a lot of time to pray over people and just hearing what God is doing in your life has been such an amazing thing, how God's meeting you right at your point of need. And I received this email this past week. I want to read it to you because I want to bring you in on some of these stories. This is what it said. When I was going through the line for prayer, one of the things that I need a miracle in is, is my brain. I've been diagnosed with PTSD, and I'm getting EDMR therapy, and I'm quite aware that my brain is misfiring when there are a lot of emotions, thoughts, and memories happening in there. Sometimes it literally hurts like a giant lump in your throat when you're fighting back tears except in the back right of my brain. This has been true for years. In the line when Amber was praying for me, it began to hurt terribly, almost unbearably. And then I felt a sort of a pop, and it completely went away and hasn't returned. I can feel a difference. Yeah. Uh, I can feel a difference where there used to be pain. There isn't now, and my thinking is clearer and more peaceful. I'll take it. Thank you for doing that. Come on, put your hands together real. Let's... Thank God for what he's doing in our lives. And 
And I want to continue. I want to keep asking you. Keep sharing your stories. And um, if you want to, if we, if you allow me to share them here, it's like send me an email. Uh, we have these little cards that are in your the back of your seat pocket. That's what these are for. Anything you want us to pray about, we do that as a staff. We pray for you all the time as well to be able to share things that God's doing in your life and uh, what's happening as we do this. Because I'm really praying that God will begin to stir things in you and really begin to do these revival and awakenings in inside of you. Now this morning we're in chapter five. So if you want to get your Bible out, go. Romans chapter 5, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then Romans is where the book is. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to start here in verse 12, which says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespasses might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now this is probably the most complex passage in the entire book of Romans. And for some of you, as I was reading this, it was a bunch of blah, 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 is what you were probably hearing. Because he just he takes all these huge, enormous, complex issues and he jam-packs it all in these, little, these few little verses here. And what he's doing, he's, he's summarizing the philosophy and the history of mankind, and he begins to describe why we have so many problems in the world today. And so I'm going to kind of break this down with you because he, he addresses four major, huge questions in this passage of Scripture. And the first big question that the Apostle Paul tackles is, why is there evil in this world? Why is there evil in this world? I don't know if you've ever thought about it or if you've ever considered it. I mean, all you have to do is turn the TV on and you can see how evil it is and how much junk is happening in our world. So why? Why is that the case? Verse 12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man. And so here what the Apostle Paul begins to do, he begins to describe that sin, which opens up the door for all this evil to come in, entered through this one man. Now, who is this one man he's talking about? Anybody know? It's through Adam. And when the first thing you need to understand is that Adam was a real person. And it was because of his disobedience that sin and evil entered into this world. Now, what was Adam's disobedience? 
he and Eve, they ate of this tree that God told them not to eat of. And it's interesting because God said, I'm giving you all of this, all that's good and pleasurable for your eating, but there's one thing for you not to eat of. And you know what Adam and Eve did? They did that one thing. I just find it so typical because that's exactly what all of us tend to do. Anytime there's a prohibition, what happens? We do that very thing that we're not supposed to do. It's against the law, and so therefore I'm going to do it. Mom said don't do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think it's just so typical of of our human nature. That's exactly what Adam did. God told them not to do that, and Adam did it anyway. He disobeyed God. And so what the Apostle Paul is describing here is that it was because of this initial act of disobedience that Adam did that it allowed evil to enter into this world, and sin is what opens the door for evil to come in, and that's why we have so much evil in this world today. And the second big question the Apostle Paul tackles is then why do people die? Why do people die? Why is there death? Why is that even a part of our lives? Why, why does death exist? Verse 12 Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came into all men because all men sinned. And so here, the Apostle Paul, he's taking, he's taking this issue of sin and death, and he's putting them together. Not only are sin and evil connected, but sin and death are also connected as two diabolical twins. When you see one, you're going to see the other. And the reason is because death is a direct result of sin. Paul, later on in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, for the wages or the results of sin is death. And the Bible actually describes that there are three types of death. We tend to be very aware of the first one, which is physical death. And that's where this body of ours gives out. It gives way, and every single one of us experience it. Physical death is universal. We all will die at one point. Hebrews 9, verse 27 says, It is appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And so in case you haven't figured this out, folks, one, at one point, this body of yours that you become accustomed to is going to give out. I don't know if you've thought about that before, or if you realize it, or you just think you're going to be immortal, and this body's going to last forever. But... I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I need to kind of shake up that thinking a little bit because this body of yours will give out. So at some point, this body is going to give way. It's going to run down. It's going to die. Welcome to Sunday morning church, everybody. But that's the reality for every single one of us. But what's so important about all of this is that this was never God's intent. God never created earth and all of creation with death as an ingredient. Death was never a part of his creation. So theoretically, Adam would have continued to live on and on and on and on because death was never a part of God's creation. But it was because of Adam and Eve's sin that then death entered into this equation that we call life. But I want you to notice something here when all this was going on. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God said to Adam and Eve, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Now think about this. Because when Adam and Eve ate of this tree that they weren't supposed to eat of, did they die immediately? No. They continued to live on, actually, for several more hundreds of years. So God was referring to something else beyond just a physical death, and that's where the second death comes in, which is spiritual death. This is one that we, a lot of times, aren't aware of, we're not even thinking about. But the second type of death is spiritual death. And spiritual death is the major consequence of sin. Because when Adam sinned, 
something died inside of him. And this tendency was then passed on to all humanity, which then causes all of us then to be born with being spiritually dead. That's why Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. Now think about that. Because if you already had life, you wouldn't need to have life. Jesus wouldn't have needed to come to give you life. But the reality is because we are all born spiritually dead, then we need that life. We need to be able to come alive. And that's what Jesus came to do for us. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He said, as for you, you were, what's the word? You were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live. You were followers of the ways of the world, the rulers of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in his mercy made us what? Made us alive in Christ even when we were what? Dead in transgressions, for by grace you have been saved. So the Apostle Paul is describing here that before you actually come to Christ, that you are spiritually dead. Which means if you haven't already made a decision to follow after Christ, if you haven't actually given your life to Jesus, then that's what's going on. You may want to follow God. You may want to do some of these different things. But until you actually give over your life to Jesus, you still are spiritually dead. It's not until you actually give your life to Jesus that his presence comes in you and causes your spirit to come alive. And so that's why we have to address this issue of spiritual death in our life, which brings me then to the third death, which is eternal death. And eternal death is when you die physically, and you're still dead spiritually. And so physical death plus spiritual death equals eternal death. And so you have no control over your physical death. It's here. Your body is going to die unless Jesus comes back before that. Your body will give out at some point. That's out of your control. The part that you have control over is your spirit. And is your spirit alive or is it dead? So when your body gives out, this is the major issue. Because when your body dies, is your spirit still dead? And if your spirit is still dead, then that's when you would experience eternal death. And that's what we are trying to avoid. That's what, that's what all this about Jesus is about, so that that doesn't take place in our lives. So go back to the, the original question that Paul's asking. Why do people die? Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin in this way, death came into all men because all men sinned. So here the Apostle Paul, he's making this point that the reason why we die, the reason why death exists is because, of, because we sin, which means the fact that all of us die should show us the reality that all of us sin. You see it? And so because all of us are going to die, that should be, give us the reality that all of us have sinned, and the consequence of sin then is death. Which then brings the third big question the Apostle Paul tackles, and that is this. Can it really be true that everyone in the world has sinned? Can it really be true that every single person in this world has sinned? I mean, even those people who haven't even heard of Jesus, have they sinned? What about the little babies? What about those who are still in the wombs of their mothers? Are, have, they, have they sinned? That's what he's addressing here. Look at verse 13. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, 
death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Now, I want you to notice something what Paul's doing here. Because I want you to notice that Paul doesn't say sins plural. He uses the word sin singular. And the reason is because when he's talking about sin, he's talking about our sin nature. Think about it this way. Because if a pregnant mom has an infection, can that infection be passed on to that unborn child? Yes, it can, right? That's just a medical thing. There's this connection between mom and child here. And so what Paul's doing here is he's making that connection is that he's describing for us that Adam is the father of us all. And so inside of Adam, he cared when Adam sinned, he, he was carrying all the genes of humanity, which means he passed on to every single one of us this infection that we call sin. And so that's why we carry this. And every single one of you are parents. How, how many of you are parents in the room? Let me see your hands. Every one of you are parents. This should make absolute sense for you. Because how many of, your parent, of you as parents had to teach your kids to be selfish? Let me see your hands if you had to teach your kids to be selfish. How many of your parents had to teach your kids to lie? Any of your parents had to teach your kids to lie? How many of your parents had to teach your kids to be disobedient? Did you have to teach your kids that, parents? Did you have to teach your kids to have a sassy mouth or to be rebellious? Any of your parents had to teach your kids how to do that? No, Why? Because these beautiful, innocent creatures that just seem so perfect are not perfect, are they? Those things come automatically out of what? Because that's, that sin nature is already in your precious little perfect little child. It's already there. And those of you who aren't parents, this should still make a lot of sense. Because how many times have you done the very exact opposite of the thing that you wanted to do? It's because we have this sin nature inside of us. And so the Bible describes that we sin because we have this natural sin nature in us. And this natural sin nature in us wants to go the wrong way and it wants to do the wrong thing. In other words, we sin because we are a sinner. It is our nature. It's in us. That's why it doesn't make a difference whether you live here in America or you live in Timbuktu. Whether you're 100 years old or whether you were just born, that sin nature is already in us and it comes alive as you move forward. And then the fourth big question the Apostle Paul tackles is this. Is it fair of God to condemn the whole world just because of one man who sinned? Is it fair of God to condemn the whole world just because of one man's sin? Verse 15. For if the many died by the trespass of the one Man. In other words, he's addressing this question of, so is it really fair that I have to suffer for Adam's sins? I mean, I wasn't there. I didn't do anything. I wasn't a part of that. So is that fair? Well, the Apostle Paul answers this question with the resounding yes. And not only is it fair, but it's actually incredibly ingenious and gracious and wise of God to do this, to condemn everybody um, in one man. And the first reason for this, number one, We've got to take each of us on a case-by-case -case basis and evaluate our lives. He'd still come up with the same conclusion. And that conclusion is nobody is perfect. None of us are perfect. And so he could line every single one of us up and interview and look at your life and evaluate your life. And he could still come with the same conclusion that there's none of us that have lived our lives without doing anything wrong. There's nobody in this world who's lived their life without doing something 
wrong. That's what Romans 1, 2, and 3, and 4 were actually all about. Paul presenting this case and the overwhelming evidence that every single one of us are guilty of wickedness, guilty of godlessness, guilty of self-righteousness. That evidence is absolutely overwhelming. And the second reason is by condemning the entire world in one man, God was able to save the whole world through one man, that is, Jesus Christ. Verse 15, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So this one man, that is Adam, brought total combination to the entire population of this world. But one man, that is Jesus Christ, brings total salvation to the entire world. That's what he's talking about here. Now, let me make a really important side point to all of this because so many people confuse this and create some really flaky theology. Because even though it is true that Jesus' act brought universal salvation, it's not automatic. So Jesus, what he did, he opened the door of heaven so that every single one, there's nobody in this room that's outside of this. You can come to God. You can know him. You can hear his voice. You can experience him. You can know that when this body quits, that you can step into heaven with him. That's for every single one. You, you can know that for certain. But what's really important to understand, there's so many people out there, especially now in this generation, they're saying that just because everyone was saved, everyone was, was, um, was, had sinned because of, of Adam, then the opposite then must be true, that because, because everyone is, then must be saved because of what Jesus did. If we've all sinned because of Adam, then we all must be saved because of what Jesus did. That thought's called universalism. And the idea here is that it's our duty to go out, not to tell everybody they need to be saved, but our duty is to go out and tell everybody that they already have been saved. They just don't know it, so they need to start living it and acting in that saved way of doing things. That's what this thought is all about. And there's so many churches and so many individuals take this approach that everybody has already been saved. But that's not at all what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Look at verse 17. He says, How much more... Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Now, there's three words here in this verse that are so absolutely key and imperative for us to understand. And those three words are those who receive. Those who receive. So he goes, we have a part to play in all this. You have a part. I have a part. We have a responsibility here. Yes, Jesus made salvation possible. He opened the doors of heaven so that you can come in, so that you can. That's what Jesus did. That's the message of the gospel. That's why the cross. That's why the resurrection. He opened that for every single one of us. But it's our responsibility then to receive it. You have a choice. Jesus opened it, but you have a choice. It's not automatic. We still have to receive it. You still have to receive it, which means this. Just because you were baptized as an infant, just because you went through catechism or confirmation, just because you go to church and you're here on this Sunday, just because you call yourself a Christian, doesn't necessarily mean that you're saved and going to heaven because you have a choice. And if you haven't taken that choice yourself, then you're still outside of this because it says those who receive. So we still have a part in all of this. So you're the one who has to take the step of faith. You're the one who has to decide for yourself. Nobody else can make this decision for you. Only you can. 
And until you make that decision, then we step outside this and spiritual death still reigns in our life. For so many people, this is why it's so confusing. Because I, I believe that maybe there's a God out there, and yeah, I kind of want him to work in my life. But until you actually give your life over to Jesus, you're outside of that. You're, you're spiritually dead. And so only when you finally give your life to Jesus does it change everything. Because at that point, now your spirit comes alive. Now you can hear God for yourself. Now new life begins to come inside. That's why things begin to fall off of you. Because now God rules and reigns there in your life. That's what he's talking about here in these verses. We have, a step. We have to take a responsibility for this. Now drop down to verse 20. Because here's where the Apostle Paul gives his conclusion to all of this. In, in a chapter that's just... Uh, just jam-packed with some really heavy stuff. And verse 20 gives the conclusion. He says this, The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now look at that last phrase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now here's the idea that he's trying to portray here. Because when the devil does more and more bad and evil things in this world, God's grace increases greater and greater. But the image that he's giving here is not this idea that when the devil works and does something evil, something bad, that God matches this. That's not at all what he's talking about. The image that he gives here is that when the devil does something evil, that God's grace comes above and beyond and super abundantly more than what the devil is doing. And so when we see evil in this world, when we see bad things happening in this world, it should get you excited because the darker it gets, the more God works. Not just to match, but to go above and beyond what it is that the devil is doing. And, and when you look at the scriptures, this is kind of interesting because when you look at the Bible, the Bible is very clear that it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. If you go to the, the back of your Bible and read the end of the story, it just gets worse from here. And I don't know about you. In my 50 years of living, it's just gotten worse and worse and worse and just continues to get worse. And so all you have to do is turn, turn on your TV to see this happening right before your eyes. Every single day, there's just more wars and more famine, more genocides and more shootings and more natural disasters and diseases that are prevalent. So the evidence of evil exists. It's clear and clear and clear in our world today. And it's so funny because this is, God created a perfect world. God created it perfect, and so this idea that we are evolving is just ludicrous because we're not evolving, we're devolving in all this when you look at what's going on in humanity. It's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. But the good news, folks, the good news is that where sin and evil increases, God says, I'll just explode my grace more and more and more abundantly upon this earth. That's what he's doing. So even though there's all these bad things happening, and you don't necessarily see the good that's happening. We turn on your TV, CNN, and all the different news um, broadcasts out there are showing you all the evil. They're not showing you what God is doing. They're not showing you his grace and the miracles that's happening across the world. I reach out to some of our missionaries and say, would you send me some videos of what's going in, 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 in the world? And you're going to see some footage of some different things um, that we got from some of our missionaries in just a little bit. But we couldn't tell, some of these we couldn't even tell you what nation they were in because it's, they're in such hostile situations that they would be killed over some of these things. But let me just tell you something. God is doing some amazing things across the world. And we did, we put a video together. And so I want you to draw your attention to the screen. Watch this.
this world. It's an endless display of the beauty of our Creator. From a leaf on a tree, to a star in the sky, to a fish in the sea, our God can be seen. But you see, this very thing that speaks of His love is the very thing that we question. In this world of hate, we forget that it was created for love. And despite the testimony surrounding us, we question whether God is amongst us. This world, at the edge of hopelessness and in our darkest hour, our Father comes down and He steals the devil's power. And where there was darkness, He shined His light. And the growth of sin lost its victory to the power of grace. But still we question whether God is amongst us in this place. This world. You see, as we open our eyes, we begin to see the greatness of our King. His work never ends and His love never fails. His hand can be seen all over the world, rescuing those that are lost through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Oh Lord, this world. The evidence is clear that the extraordinary is here. After 60 years of persecution, the church in China has grown 100 times its size with over 23,000 new Christians every single day. There is no end to His saving grace, but how do we know that God is actually in this place? Oh Lord, this world. If Satan thought that Africa would be his hiding place, he vastly underestimated the power of God's saving grace because three Africans have been saved since I started this sentence, 16,000 every single day. There is no end to his saving grace. I'm beginning to think that God is actually in this place. Oh Lord, oh Lord, this world. If it's not China or Africa, surely there must be a hiding place. But it can't be India because Satan is losing that race. In the last 15 years, 50 million people have found their place underneath the wings of God's saving grace. His people all over the world are starting to shout and I'm beginning to wonder how much longer I can doubt. Oh Lord, oh Lord, this world. We've been to Africa and Asia alike. Surely Europe will shut off this light, but it cannot be because these people are starting to see. After 70 years of Soviet Union oppression, the Christian movement has broken through their depression. 100 million people have come to the Lord. That's five times the size of the Communist Party. Can't you see? I'm now convinced that this is how God said that it would be. Oh Lord, oh Lord, this world, all over the place, people are finding grace. In Latin America, Christians are growing three times faster than that of the population. In Indonesia, the government has stopped printing the number of Christians out of fear. And in the Middle East, Muslims are dreaming about Jesus and coming to Christianity. Because you see, even in their resting place, they cannot escape God's grace. <laughs> oh God. Oh Lord, this world. There is no doubt or evidence needed because my God has already succeeded. You see, for he said, look at the nations and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that would not believe even if you were told. Lord, oh Lord, let not your grace ever get old. 
This world, this world is yours. Come on, put your hands together, would you? You know, I see this and I hear the, the stories of what's happening all over the world and it gives me such incredible hope because there is nothing impossible with God. And so it may be true that what's going on in your life may seem very bleak. What's happening in your family, that may seem very bleak and dark. What's happening in your workplace, in your school environment, that may seem very bleak and dark for you, but you need to understand what Jesus says. But where sin increases, God's grace increases all the more. So when you see darkness rising, know that God is moving, not just to counter, but to go above and beyond the evil that's happening, the darkness that's happening in this world. That's why I love Habakkuk 1, verse 5. Look around the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. That's what's happening in our generation. But I want you to close your eyes, if you would, please. Because I want you just to let God begin to stir in your own heart. Because I know the reality may be that you're, you may be facing some pretty dark things. There is darkness in this world. But I want to remind you. I want to remind you just in case your darkness has caused you to forget. I want to remind you where darkness increases God's grace. God's grace. His power, his love, his miraculous intervention explodes in greater and greater abundance because he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. He's unmoved, he's unchanged, he's un defeated and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. And the schools can't explain him. The leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. And the people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. And the new age can't replace him. Talk show hosts can't explain him away because he is light. He is love. He is longevity and Lord. He is goodness and kindness, gentleness in God. He is holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal and his will is unchanging. And his mind is on you. He is your redeemer. He is your savior. He is your guide and he is your peace. Let that sink into your heart because he is your joy. He is your comfort. He is your Lord and he rules your life. I serve him because his bond is love. His burden is light and his goal for me is abundant life. I follow him because he is the wisdom of the wise, the power of the power from the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders, the overseer of overcomers, and the sovereign Lord of all of us who was and is and is to come. And if that seems impressive to you, try this on for size. Because his goal is a relationship with you. He'll never leave you. 
He'll never forsake you. He'll never mislead you. He'll never forget you. He'll never look o- overlook you. And he'll never cancel your appointment in his appointment book. And when you fall, he lifts you up. When you confess failure, he forgives. When you are weak, he is strong. When you are lost, he is the way. When you are afraid, he is your courage. When you stumble, he steadies you. When you are hurt, he heals you. When you are broken, he mends you. When you are blind, he leads you. When you are hungry, he feeds you. When you face trials, he is with you. When you face persecution, he shields you. When you face problems, he comforts you. When you face loss, he provides for you. When you face death, he carries you home. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and in every way. He is God. He is faithful. I am his, and he is mine. My Father in heaven can whip the father of this world. So if you're wondering why I feel so secure, understand this. He said it, that settles it. God is in control. I am on his side, and that means all is well with my soul. If you would stand up on your feet, if you would, please. Because we're going to go and just worship God. Whatever is happening in your life, whatever is going on, I want you just to turn your attention. Turn your attention off your situation. Turn your attention off what's going on. And turn your attention on the one who created you. We have communion that's up front here, and I want to encourage you. Let that be part of your worship experience. You can come up at any time to take communion. Also, the prayer teams will be up here in the front to release, to declare God's miraculous power working in your life. Let that happen. Let them pray over you. And come on, let's join our voices here. Let's worship God here together. As we look at this world and as we look at maybe the people next to us or, or we hear the, the miracle that God is working in somebody else's life, as we heard this message today, I felt like the Lord put it on my heart and told me that there, there are people in this room who, who needed to be reminded that Jesus came for you and that he died for you and that he rose again on the third day to give you life in your life and, it, and, and it's this moment's not maybe not about those around you but, it, but it's a moment where, where you need to be reminded that or maybe told for the first time by, by God that he loves you and that, that you are a child you are a prince or a princess of the risen king and that, that he, he saw you as he was on that cross. That he saw your life. And that he had love for you in that moment. And he chose to give it all up for you. So that you could have life. That is, that is God's love for us. I think there's some that maybe just need to open, open up our hearts. Open our hearts to that love right now in your place that God wants to show you that 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 love is not just for somebody else it's not just for over there but it is for you right now in your place in your spot he wants to tell you that he loves you more than anything else he loves you as we were singing that song about the reckless love of God, I, I saw Jesus 
dancing all over the congregation and it's not like he was being real careful to just go down the aisle or something he was just going all over the place and he was spinning and you know on the bottom of the priestly garments they would have these series of knots that represented promises of God and as he was spinning they were kind of banging into people and it wasn't like it was real painful it was like what what just hit me what just hit me and the Lord said, you know, I just, I, I saw him. He was so in love with his father, and he was just dancing in joy. And the Lord knew who needed to be tapped, woken up, awakened, uh, kind of knocked out of their kind of religious, like, just looking this way. And, and there was just such tremendous joy and abandon in it. And then different people started to dance with him. And the Lord said, don't be so afraid to just dance with me, to just enjoy me. Don't be afraid that somebody's going to be offended or that somebody's going to be uh, not understand. Because when the love is there, it's transforming. And, and it was almost like I had this picture of like a big puppy. You know, they're kind of clumsy and they're going all around. But you love that that puppy just brings so much love because you're, you just excuse all of its clumsiness and running into things because there's this love. And I, I just saw the Lord just dancing, waking up and saying, look, let's just set aside that and just look at him and it's going to be amazing the things that happen. I felt like the Lord dropped this word in my heart. Um, my husband and I went to a concert the other night and we were way, way in the back standing back there, and I was like, man, I love being in the back, which is a weird thought to have, um, but there's something I've learned about being in the back that there is no other place in our life that we can experience that kind of intimacy with God, and, and that is a sacrifice of praise unlike any other, and so for any of you, whether you're physically in the back or metaphorically, you feel like you're in the back of your life. I just encourage you that, like Logan was saying, that love that's from God is for you, and you may feel hidden, but you have never been more seen. And that praise you bring him will reap joy for the rest of your life. Um, so I had a verse. I got to pull up my phone. It's 2 Timothy 1. It says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. For the Spirit of God doesn't make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord or me of his, as his prisoner. Rather, join with me in the suffering by the power of God. Yeah, I just feel like he's not done yet. There is joy to be restored. The Christ is the hope of the world. And we were watching that video. I just, each time I saw it, I couldn't help but tear up knowing that Jesus, just the mention of his name is the hope for the world. We complain about the grocery store line being too long or our food getting messed up at a restaurant. But to the downcast, to the poor, he is the hope of the world. And I just feel like he wants to restore joy in you to know that he has you right where he wants you and that he's not finished with you yet. He says, these things I will do again. God, you've made a way. You're still making a way. Let's sing this out as if it's the last cry in our breath. 
So I'm reminded of the 12 stones in the Jordan River. The tribes marched across dry riverbed as the covenant of God led the way to the promised land. The waters teeming with life were walled up waiting for his people, ready yet waiting. Joyous crossings from old to new life in the water is waiting for you. The stones mark the territory for all the people to come to the promised land, one at a time. Claim your victory in Christ. Amen. Amen. You know, I said this at the beginning of the year that I felt like one of the things that God wanted to do in all of us was to do these shifts. And uh, I keep saying this, that this is not something that just automatically happens. You step into it. You step into that shift. And I thought it was a great picture of God walling it off, waiting, waiting for you to step in, waiting for you to cross over. He's made the way. He's made a way for you for a shift to happen. You just need to step, step into it. And so if you would, why don't you grab a hold of the person's hand beside you here. Just go across the aisles. Grab a hold. I don't want you to be, anybody to be alone. Get, in, get connected with somebody here. Grab somebody's hand. And once you're just right where you are, begin to pray for the people that are around you. Begin to pray for the ones in front of you and behind you. Begin to pray for them the way that you would want to be prayed over. And so, God, we do. We thank you for the people that are surrounded. We thank you that we're not alone. We thank you that you've brought us here today. And there are things that you are shifting. There's things that you are moving. God, we're so grateful that even when darkness seems like it's increasing, that your power, your grace, your miracles go above and beyond in such a supernatural, so um, abundant way that doesn't even match the darkness. It light breaks through that dark place. And so we pray that for the people around us, that God, your light would break through those dark places where they feel stuck, where they feel surrounded, where they feel hopeless. That God, you would break through that and faith would arise. That they would begin to step in to what you have. They would begin to step in to that joy and the victory that you've given each one of us. God, I pray that give us revelation. Help us to see it. Help us to walk in it. Lord, help us not to glorify the darkness that's around us, but to be able to glorify the one who's above all and in all things. That you are the great I am. You are the one who's mighty. And, you, and this, the, the, the father of this world doesn't even compare to who you are. Lord, I love that. Lord, I love that my daddy God can beat up on every devil in this earth. And so, God, we rejoice. We thank you for what you're doing in this hill country. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And so we just speak and we release blessing to those that are around us. God, we declare that the people around us are blessed in their bodies, in their finances, in their job situations, in their marriages, with their kids, with their parents, with their families. God, that as they go in and they go out, that they're blessed. In their conversations, that they're blessed. And that, God, that we would bring your light, your love, your power, your miracle-working power into those dark places that we go into this week. God, we declare that we proclaim it and we release your light and blessing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, put your hands together one more time. Give God thanks for what he's doing in our lives. Amen, 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 amen. Hey, real quick, real quick. Um, you, you, 
these guys keep on trying to bring you into my life for the last um, 50 years of my life. But um, yeah, one of the things you don't always know is that when we left Wisconsin, we left five churches. And we have one of our pastors, Kevin and Kristen Tranelli here. They pastor one of the churches up in Wisconsin that we were over. Would you please just love on them? Put your hands together. Give them a big Texas welcome. It's been snowy and cold up north, and we had 90 degrees here in Texas. <laughs> all right, God bless you all. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.